Well, this morning, there's nothing quite like that scene, right? There's nothing quite like that picture uh, that you have that image of that person. Uh, you almost need like slow motion or a camera to capture it when they're just coming up out of the water and there's that smile on their face and their arms are up and the water's kind of sparkling and, and uh, you just have that picture of the waters of baptism. There's nothing quite like that, is there, in the Christian experience uh, of, of that scene that we sort of have in our mind of someone being baptized. And, and uh, you know, so you, you take that person and uh, they go under the water and, and you hold them there for a little bit just to make them nervous. I'm just kidding. Um, but, but there's a suspense, right? It's quiet. They're under the water and they can't be left there. They can't be left in the water. Uh, that's not where they're meant to be, right? That's not where they're supposed to stay. And so then they come up out of the water and it's flying and sparkling and their arms are raised in victory. And, and that imagery is very intentional, Right? It's meant to be vivid. It's meant to encapsulate and condense and package uh, for us in our minds and in, and in celebration the very center of what Jesus did. The very center of the meaning of Jesus in our lives. And it's all there in one clear picture of going under the water and the quietness and the knowing that that's not where we can remain, but we have to come up out of the water. It's the picture of the dead coming to life. And Jesus has raised us from death to life. And He's moved us from darkness to light. And He's released us from bondage and into freedom. And there's all these transactions that Jesus has accomplished that are pictured for us in baptism. And there's two frames of reference, or there's two places from which you can view a baptism. or view You can view baptism from before you have that experience with Jesus. And so you can, you can look at what's taking place in baptism from, from, this, from, the, from before you knew Jesus or before you had an encounter with Jesus. Or after it, either before or after, you're viewing baptism from one of those two places. And if, if you've never had it, if you've never had that experience of Jesus setting you free from sin, of, of being brought from darkness to light, uh, of moving from death to life, then you only see it from that one side. And you might see something amazing, or you might see something confusing, or you might see something kind of weird happening. But as Christians among us, we can, we can see it from the other side. We see baptism from the perspective of having that change inside of us, of knowing what Jesus has done for us, and for years in our life, or for decades. In fact, if you're a believer today, actually, you probably see baptism from both sides, because you see it from this side, having had that experience with Jesus, and you remember what it was like before you had Jesus. And so you remember what it was like to be in darkness. You remember what it was like to not love God. You know what it was like to maybe be rebelling against God, and to be uh, not have uh, the experience that you had with Jesus, but then you remember the change that took place in your life. And so you remember baptism from both sides. And truth be told, and this is what I want to talk a little bit about today quickly, is that we really need to always see baptism every day of our life. That we never leave baptism behind. We should see both sides of baptism every day in our life as Christians because what Jesus has done is not something that only has meaning for us in the future. We sing about resurrection and we sing about eternal life. And we think about what Jesus has done having some meaning for us in the future. But in fact, what Jesus has done has meaning for us every day. He gives us victory now in the present. Every day we can experience the baptism victory. As Christians, we're able to choose life instead of death. We're able to choose light instead of darkness. We have the freedom from bondage of sin. And that's a victory that we have in Jesus. It's not just a victory over our physical death. 
in some future distant sort of escape or reward, we get off to heaven and we don't physically die. It's not just about that. Baptism is also symbolizing the victory we have in our spiritual life. That we have a chance today to have victory over sin. And that we have a chance to have victory today over the spiritual deaths in our lives right now. And that's what Jesus is doing every day, all the time. Jesus never stops raising us from death to life. He never stops moving us from darkness to light. He never stops releasing us from bondage. It's not just a one-time event for a Christian. It is every day of our Christian lives that Jesus is releasing us. And so what does it mean? What did Jesus do to die and to rise and to give victory over death? Well, very quickly, there is the physical reality of, of bringing uh, victory over physical death. In the very beginning in Genesis, we understand that God did not intend death for mankind. As Pastor Brian said, for those of us that were here on Good Friday, that God created the earth and it was good. And on the sixth day, He created man and it was very good. Creation was good. It was very good. And we enjoyed this close relationship with God, walking and talking with Him, Genesis says. But then it was through our rebellion and our disobedience that the curse of death entered the world. Genesis 3 says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. Out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And this is not what God intended. He did not intend death. This was something that was brought on by our rebellion, our sin, our setting ourselves up in pride over God. And so there was a physical death and a spiritual consequence when we broke our relationship with God. And the physical death is easily apparent to us, right? Not just the final death in our body, but all the allies of death that we see around us in sickness and in pain and in suffering and in war and the choices that we make that are really deadening choices. We make choices in our relationships and we make choices in our lives that ultimately end up harming us and harming others. And those are what I like to call death choices. And so we make these choices in our lives that lead to death in our lives. Death emotionally, death relationally, death spiritually. And so death is ever present with us, not just physically, but leading to physical death. And the Apostle Paul says that the whole creation understands this. He says in Romans 8, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. He says we're groaning. We know this is not how it was supposed to be. Paul is simply saying, just look around. You can look around today and you can say, Genesis isn't wrong. There's death in the world. And there's a physical curse of death on all creation and on ourselves. But not just physical death, but a spiritual one as well. And this goes deeper to what is happening in our relationship with Jesus. And it goes deeper into what is happening in baptism. The physical death is just a picture on the outside of a much more serious spiritual condition. Our spirit that once knew God and was alive with God became dead inside of us. It became impossible for us to love God and impossible for us to seek God. We were dead. We were spiritually dead. If you go back to Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 8, after their sin, Adam and Eve heard the voice of God because God used to walk and talk with them in the garden. And, and Adam and Eve heard the voice of God after they had sinned. And it says there, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Mankind hid themselves from God. The relationship between man and God was broken and they became spiritually dead. 
And we can roll forward to the New Testament and see how the Apostle Paul speaks about what this is in his letter to the church of Ephesus. He, he begins his letter saying to this church, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So he's talking to people that are alive, right? He's, he doesn't mean that they're physically dead because he's writing them a letter. And I think even Paul knows that would be a waste of time. So when he says that you were dead in your transgressions and sins, he's not talking about physical life here. He's talking about spiritual death. Paul's just saying again, you can go back to Genesis and it's telling the truth. We're separated from God. We're dead in our sin. Paul knows that they're dead. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says the same thing this way in 1 Peter 4.6. He says, for this is why the Gospel... So Peter says, this is why there's good news. That's what Gospel means. For this is why the good news was preached even to those who are dead. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. So Peter says, I'm preaching the good news to people who are dead. Not physically dead, again, obviously, but spiritually dead. I'm preaching the Gospel to people who are dead so that they will be judged in the flesh the way people are. They will die. But, even though they will be judged in the flesh the way that people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God lives in the Spirit. And so Peter wants to preach the good news of what Jesus had done to those, even those who are spiritually dead, especially those that are spiritually dead. He's preaching to people who need to hear the good news of what Jesus did. And Paul describes the people suffering this spiritual death later and on in his letter. He explains what this spiritual death looks like. He says in Ephesians 4.18, he says, They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So Paul says here, that's our natural state to be like Adam, hiding from God. Dead, he says. He says, alienated from the life of God. That's another way of saying dead. You're, you're not part of the life of God. And then he equates this death in that little sentence he equates this death to three conditions in mankind. He says they're darkened in understanding, they, are, they have ignorance, and they have hardness of heart. That's what spiritual death looks like. That's what it looks like when you're spiritually dead. You have a hard heart towards God. You have a darkness in your thinking, and you have an ignorance, which is a strong word for not knowing or deliberately not wanting to know. You just, you just don't want to know anything about God. And maybe that sounds like you. I can tell you for a fact, that definitely describes me in my youth. That describes me when I was much younger. There was a long time when I had no interest in God. In fact, I really disliked anyone talking about God unless it was an opportunity for me to argue with them why they were stupid. That's the only time I wanted to hear about God. I wished in my life, if I was honest, that God would just disappear and I would never have to hear about Him again. Because if God just disappeared, then I could live however I wanted. And so I really wanted God to just go away. I would be free to think and live however I wanted to if God went away. Even though, to be honest, I really didn't know very much about Him. I thought I knew a lot. I mean, I look back when I was a teenager, I thought I really knew a lot about God. And I was really smart. But in reality, even though I wished He would just go away and I thought I knew a lot about Him, I was ignorant. I didn't know anything about God. Or very, very little. I didn't really know that much about Him. But I was foolish because I really knew nothing. And I saw other people, this is interesting because I saw other people in my life that I saw knew Him really well, but I didn't want anything to do with Him. And that was me for some time. Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you have that hardness of heart. Maybe you have that ignorance. Maybe you have that darkness on your mind where you just want nothing to do with God. You want Him to go away. If He would just leave you alone, then you could get on with your life. And look, that's not unexpected. It's not a surprise. It doesn't shock anyone here. It certainly doesn't shock me. Because that exact condition in your heart and your mind is the result of spiritual death that all of mankind is born into. That's where we all start out. And it's what Paul is speaking about right here. He's not surprised if that's how you feel. Because he knows what spiritual death looks like. But Paul doesn't end here. He says there's another kind of person. He says a person anybody can become. In verses 21 to 24, Paul talks about those that have heard about Jesus and were taught about Him. And he says that they are able to put off their old self, which belonged to their former manner of life and that was made corrupt by wrong desires. And instead, these people that he talks about are renewed in the spirit of their minds and able to put on a new self. So you're not necessarily have to be left in the spiritual deadness, Paul says, in darkness and in this old corrupt self. He says there's another kind of people that hear the good news of Jesus and having heard the good news of Jesus, they get to put on new desires and a new self. They get a new life. So how does this happen? How, how do we move from spiritual death to spiritual life? And how do we maintain this spiritual life? We find it all in Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13-14 says, You were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And so you were under the water. You were down under the water in the grave spiritually, and you were not coming up. And then God made you alive in Christ, for He forgave all your, sin, all your sins. And He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. And so, when you're in that state of spiritual deadness, Paul says, you can come alive and you can come up out of the waters of baptism and you can come up into a new life because of what Jesus did, specifically what Jesus did on the cross for you. This is the victory we have in Jesus Christ. God saw that we were dead. And God saw that there was nothing to do while we were dead. What can a dead person do? Nothing. Right? Jesus made it clear, raising Lazarus from the dead. He went to the tomb. The body was dead. It was starting to rot. People said it stunk. There was nothing Lazarus could do. What did Lazarus need to come to life? He needed Jesus to act. He needed God to act. There was nothing he could muster up in himself to jump out of his tomb. And it's the same with us when we're spiritually dead. There's nothing we can do to muster up the strength to impress God and, and uh, you know, earn somehow a new life. We're dead spiritually. We need God to act. And so He took the initiative. God decided, you're spiritually dead. You can't do anything about it. But I can do something because I'm God. So I can come into your world in the form of my Son and I can take on the sin and the punishment that you can't bear. I can take on the sin of your life on the, in the body of My Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the victory we have in Jesus because it's all about God's plan that He worked through Jesus. He took our rebellion and He took our hardness of heart and He took our stubbornness and He took the darkness of our minds and we call all that stuff sin. You can bundle it all together and call it sin. And God dealt with it justly on the cross. God couldn't just wave it away. If God had just ignored all the sin in the world, then He wouldn't be a just God. He would be unjust. And so He had to be just, but He had to be loving. And in the cross, He found the perfect answer. Because He could be perfectly just in pouring out His wrath and the just punishment for sin on His Son, and He could be perfectly loving because He could bear 
the punishment for sin instead of us. And instead, we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ in eternal life. What an incredible transaction that we are the beneficiaries of and God gets all the glory for. Because He was a loving God, He carried out the justice on Himself in the death of Jesus Christ. And He paid the price for our sins. And then to prove His promise that all the sin and all the death was defeated, God raised Jesus from the dead. That's the seal of His promise. And this is the central victory that we witness in baptism. This is the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. That all we have to do to move from spiritual death to spiritual life is to believe and to trust that what God has done through Jesus is sufficient. And Romans 4.24 says it perfectly. Romans 4.24 says, God will credit righteousness. Or God will say, you're right, you're good. God will give us credit for righteousness for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. To make us legally okay with God. And it's, I just I love the way that Paul is very precise in what he says here. For us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. We believe in Jesus, yes we do, but we believe in God the Father as well. That it was God the Father who had this plan along with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and God the Father enacted this plan to do His justice on His Son and then raise Him from the dead. And so we believe in all of it. We believe in the whole plan that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit laid this out to happen, that He was delivered to death for our sins and then was raised to life for our justification. And every day of our lives, we should be living that resurrection victory of Jesus. And so when Paul and the other writers of the Bible talk about this death, or they talk about the spiritual death, or they talk about sin, as we saw in Ephesians, they also call it the flesh, or they call it bondage to darkness, and it leads to things like greed and pride and sexual sin and violence and jealousy and bitterness. And God doesn't want those things for you. Those are all death things. And God doesn't want death things for you. He wants life things for you. He doesn't want you to be bitter over things that people have done or to take out your anger on your kids or on your spouse. And He doesn't want you to waste your life chasing empty pleasures in dead-end places that ultimately lead you into darker places. And He doesn't want you bound by addictions or bound by emotional grief. That is the life that the world holds out for you and it's not life at all. God wants for you a better life. He wants for you an abundant life, a new and eternal life. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And that's why Jesus came. That's why this is the life of His resurrection offered. And that's what we celebrate at baptism. That's the picture that's encapsulated there. I just put a little tiny bit of it in there in the last ten minutes. But when that person goes down under the water, and you can't leave them there because that's not where they belong, They'd be dead if they stayed down there. And that's what you're supposed to see. But then they come up out of the water in new life. That's the new life that Jesus has intended for us. And all of that is encapsulated in that image of baptism. And so as Christians, as non-Christians, you might be looking at it saying, I don't understand this. I need to know what that is. Talk to somebody and find out. Because you think you know a lot about God. I thought I knew a lot about God. You don't. God has more for you than you can possibly imagine. And thousands of people that will tell you so even right here in Dysart County. And not only that, but as Christians, we have to look at our baptism and remember what is pictured there and live that every day. 
Because it is every day as Christians that God has to rescue us from darkness into light. That He has to move us from ignorance to knowledge. That He has to take us from death to life. Because we still are part of our flesh and we still make death choices. Except by the grace of God that gives us guidance to make better choices and to love Him and to love others. And so we never leave our baptism behind. That picture of baptism should be riveted in your mind. Because we never leave it behind. We live it every day as Christians. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that You have given us this amazing picture of baptism. And You did it on purpose. It was not a mistake. There's a real good reason why You do everything You do. And so, Lord, I thank You that through Your Scripture and through Your Holy Spirit today, we are able to just catch one glimpse of what we need to remember in baptism. And there's a thousand more. That even as Christians, we would never leave our baptism behind. That we would remember that every day we are being resurrected from life into death. From death into life. And that we have to continually come back to You for that resurrection power. We don't have any strength in ourselves, Lord. We are dead bodies trapped in our flesh without You. Only by Jesus do we have strength. And so, Lord, we remember baptism. And we celebrate this baptism today for Catherine. That Just wow. What an amazing beginning to what is ahead of her. And that she would never forget it. But she would keep coming back to her baptism and remembering the resurrection she has every single day. You're there doing it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.